I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to the Pop Culture Potluck. Uh, my name is Dave Inman, and as he does every so often, and people really seem to like it, my brother Steve is with us again in the sanctuary of the studio. And... Um, We've done previous podcasts on what we watched on TV uh, in the 1960s and also the, the toys and the games we played with. And this time around, we thought we'd talk about the music that we grew up listening to and, and uh, the kind of memories and associations we have with it. When we grew up in a musical family, professional musicians on both sides, my grandmother uh, played piano by ear, Grandma Dixie. And you can jump in here anytime. Oh my gosh, what do you say about Grandma Dixie? She um, <laughs> she deserves her own podcast. <laughs> she does. She used to play on the radio here in the area that we live in, on a radio station. And she was somewhat popular, I guess. I think she was on uh, Wave Radio. And um, and then later in life, as she, as she stopped doing uh, regular gigs... She would play in hospitals, um, and I'm assuming it's just in the in the um, you know in sort of like this the gathering area on floors where patients were. And she would just play. No, she played in the emergency room. <laughs> no, just <laughs> well, <laughs> patients, you're in for a treat. You're needed. That's where she went. Uh, so, and so we were exposed to that, and not that we would go with her to the hospitals, but every time we had a family get together. And there was a piano around. She would she would play something, aided by a couple of Sterling beers. Yes. Um, and lately, toward the end of her life, I guess she used to start off with the way we were, because that was a a hit in her mind. And uh, she would play the way we were, and then she had a little list written down. That she would a set list that she would come and play, and everybody would gather around and sing, and it was a. Uh, it was a great experience. And then as I got older and I started playing music and be out and playing in nightclubs and whatnot, she would say things like, well, you're the reason, or I'm the reason that you're musically talented. In other words, if it weren't for me, pal, you would you would be nothing. Um, and so anyway, a lot of great memories, always... Um, yeah, Grandma Dixie was a character. And she played piano by ear, which is amazing. I mean, basically what that means is she could hear a song and then sit down at a keyboard without ever having a lesson and just playing it. Yeah. And she had a very flowery style. So you can imagine how she went to town on the way we were. It was very, whoa, <laughs> all over the key. But she did, I mean, it, it was amazing to watch her. She was truly talented in that way. And then on the other side of the family... We had my mom's brother, our Uncle Les. Uncle Les played uh, upright bass. And Uncle Les was probably about, he probably, when he stood totally tall, he probably reached about three quarters of the way up the upright bass. But he still, he played it. And he was also a, a, a big influence, especially on you, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was. He, um, 
it was it was under his he was the one that that bought a bunch of really cool jazz records that now our parents did also but he would be the guy that if we had a little party at their house he would put on a Jimmy Smith record uh, an organ player named Jimmy Smith and he would um, he would be dancing with his wife and all the kids would be around dancing that was kind of fun but he also played he had a regular and I don't know what exactly the, the terms of regular mean but he played at the at, uh, in a big hotel here in downtown um, every every night five nights a week and I don't know I think he told me once that he made $150 a week which he thought was really good money um, and that in addition to working all day in a shoe store right right and then playing at night yeah, yeah but then but she had but we have to say something about him in that he owned a nightclub for a short period of time called the say when yes and uh, I'm not sure how he got involved in that, but there, apparently there were some partners. Maybe they were in the mob, I don't know, but uh, he was in on it. And he brought in Bo Diddley. this on the same weekend he brought in Bo Diddley but that was a big deal bringing in Bo Diddley but also he was a my uncle Les was a real character in that he and this is all legend so you're gonna have to you can't check this because everybody who knows if it's true or not is dead but he hung from the ceiling of the of the theater of the nightclub um, and when hung upside down and played his stand-up bass uh, swinging over the crowd that gathered at the bar. I'm sure that was pretty interesting for somebody who'd been at the bar all day, you know, and I looked up and saw this guy, this little short redheaded guy. Hanging <clears throat> yeah. yeah. But anyway, he that was our, our, our upbringing in music. I mean, our upbringing was unusual enough as it was, mm-hmm. but when we had these musicians around, it, right. it was a really... Um, it was a really cool thing. It probably also accounts for why we're both as hammy as we are, because we grew up. I mean, we literally at some family gatherings we would have like talent shows, with with uh, Grandma Dixie playing something or Uncle Les playing something, and the kids. Uh, it was a great atmosphere to grow up in. It was really fun. Yeah. And and <clears throat> Steve, you are a professional musician. I mean. Today and and continue that. I don't have it at all, but you have the musical ability in our family, and you've played a number of instruments. And well, it's it's a it's it's fun. I mean, it's a joy. I love it. Um, I wish I could make a living at it, but I can't. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but along along those lines of of what it was like for us, we David and I. We, we used to go, when we were little kids, little boys, little cute kids. We were cute. We're not anymore, but we oh, were well, cute. You should have caught us then. Yeah. Uh, my grandma was playing in a restaurant, 
And we went... Mazzoni's. Mazzoni's was the restaurant in the west end of this town we live in. And we would... We knew that she was going to call us up to the stage, so we both went under the table and hid from her. And I can remember seeing out, you know, my view was the red and white check tablecloth, and you know what kind I'm talking about. And we would be down there, and we would just think, okay, maybe she doesn't know we're here or something. And she would she would say, "Where's my boys?" And we would be we would be trapped and we couldn't we didn't have a way to get out. So we would go up and she would play Alley Cat. Everybody's instrumental favorite. Yeah, and uh, I would I would recommend the Al Hurt version of that. But anyway, so we would get up and sing Alley Cat, um, and that's sort of I can you know I I can vividly I can remember that. Me too. Me too. Grandma would get all so grandma was one of those women of the school that that she never washed her own hair ever she went to her hairdressers twice a week Zella her hairdresser and especially before a gig she would you know get all dolled up and put on makeup and she would come to our family gatherings before she'd go to the gig and she'd be all made up and so first thing she'd do is don't kiss grandma she's don't touch me. Talks about her in the, third, or in the first person. Yeah, and then she'd say, you know, doesn't Grandma look pretty? Which has kind of become a catchphrase in our house. But again, Grandma Dixie deserves her own podcast, so maybe we'll do that someday. Yes. So we also grew up just around a lot of music in the form of, of music on records. And, and we kind of the centerpiece of our living room was this big old Sears silver tone hi-fi. You know, it was the kind that looked like furniture. It had it had its own legs, and and it um, <laughs> was wooden. You know, with the cabinets and everything. And and my parents played music a lot, and it was either uh, they were not the rock and roll generation. No, they just missed that. So it was a lot of Broadway cast albums, mm-hmm. The King and I, My Fair Lady, Camelot, and then and then jazz, Dave Brubeck. Uh, Ahmad Jamal, Howard Roberts, Chet Baker, people like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I remember <clears throat> one of my mom's favorite recordings was she bought a single of Sarah Vaughn singing Misty. I've got it. You still have it. Look at me. I'm as helpless as a kitten up a tree. And I feel like I'm clinging to a cloud I can't understand I get misty just holding your hand Walk my way And a thousand wild things And she loved that song so much that she would play it over and over and over again on the stereo. And at this point, I was probably about, I don't know, four years old. And my idea was that that stereo held little people that sang songs. And I guess had a whole, you know, orchestra down there or something. 
And I remember getting really, really upset one day because she wouldn't stop playing that. And I, and I remember thinking and maybe even said this out loud, those people need to go home. <laughs> and uh, They're on overtime. And my mom probably three thought, weeks. this kid is kind of dumb for a four-year-old. <laughs> But uh, that's a that's a vivid music associated memory. So we not a lot of rock and roll in our house until I mean really I used to tell the story and this was true the night the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show the night that everybody talks about as being so historic we were watching Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color we were not watching Ed Sullivan we totally missed it I mean when do you remember pop music or rock and roll kind of us listening to it we didn't. Um... There was always something, I don't know if my parents, if our parents consciously did this, but there was a, there was a sense in which they just knew that, that people like Duke Ellington or Count Basie or Frank Sinatra, or you can, you know, any number of people were sort of in a higher plane Mm -hmm. than modern stuff was, contemporary stuff. Yeah. You know, if the kids really liked it. They just weren't really, because they weren't kids, obviously, but we weren't, I mean, we were too young for that. I remember, I do remember the, the, um, I saw her face Now I'm a believer I remember being aware of the monkeys even before I was aware of the Beatles. That's I bet that is true for me too. Um, because they were on TV, and we watched a lot of TV, obviously. But that was a big deal. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. It was just my dad, uh, especially my dad. He had a um, a really unique ta- some really unique taste in music. A lot of the records I still have, uh, which is cool. But I don't have anything to listen to him on. But he was a major influence, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to be a musician because he held musicians in mm. such high esteem. Um, and he he would, <laughs> I can remember going to the Hearthstone Inn here in town, and we went and there was a trio playing. It was a guitar and a bass and drums, Jimmy Rainey, and a guy named Sonny Stevens playing bass, and then I can't remember the, the drummer's name. Anyway. We went up there. We went up to talk to Sonny Stevens because my dad loved him, or you know. And I don't know how old I was. I wasn't old enough to get in the place, but I don't think he had to be 21. Anyway, we went up and talked to him, and I saw how my dad just thought the guy was great and just worshipped him, you know. So that was kind of neat. And so I thought, hey, he likes musicians. I think I'm going to be a musician. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. probably had something to do with it. But um, I have a really, really nice memory of... Uh, when I was a newspaper reporter, mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, Ray Charles was coming to town to perform with the Louisville Orchestra. And I did a phone interview with him, and um, he was as much of a gentleman as you would expect him to be. And at the end, he said, 
um, if you come to the concert, come backstage and say hi afterwards. I'm like, really? And so we ended up going and taking uh, mom and dad. And we went backstage, and of course he came out and, and said hi to us. And dad, you know, said, mentioned some nightclub, you know, Club Madrid, 1953, you know, January 20th, I was there. I saw you there. And anyway, it was just, it was really, Yeah. I remember, I was so caught up in it that uh, my wife at the time, who I'm not married to anymore, not because of this, although maybe because of this, I, I was so anxious to introduce to introduce myself to Ray Charles and tell him who I was, and then I introduced my mom and dad. I forgot to introduce my wife. That's where it all went down. And it was, from it that was point. Uh, you know, and so I remember driving home and being made to feel not so great about oh, that. So, man. which was it was a mistake. I'm, I'm sorry. If if I if I I mean, who 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 among us? I mean, I my parents, our parents, when when uh, the Stan Kenton Orchestra came to the Beef and Boards Dinner Theater, and they want and they took me. Because my I was a, I was a, I played started playing trombone in high school, and they took me because my dad thought, oh, you need to hear these guys. I had no idea who Stan Kenton was. saw Buddy Rich at the same place later um, when I was in high school and things like that. We never would have been exposed to things like that in a, in a normal family, right. whatever that is. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And, and I will say this, I don't know how this came up in a conversation with my dad one time that he, he, he referred to a song called Diminuendo and Crescendo in Blue.
Duke Ellington song. And uh, it's a, if you don't know the song, it was, he did a version of it on Ellington at Newport in whatever year that record was. And it was about a 20 minute version of that song. Is that song. the one that gets crazier and crazier? Paul Gonzalez was a sax player. Yeah. And it was just, it's the story. If you, if you don't know the story, it's kind of cool to look it up either on Wikipedia or wherever, somewhere on the internet. Uh, and it was just, it was total bedlam when they got done with the song. People were almost like in a riot kind of state because they were so... But anyway, my point is, he he told me about that song and played it for me. It was like, hey, you know, this is one of my favorite songs kind of thing. So, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, definitely big... Uh, I mean, jazz is still my favorite kind of music. And, and uh, they were just... They really taught us what quality music was you know i mean mm. I, I guess sometimes that's just in the ear of the beholder but i still like it um so by the late 1960s i think you're right the monkeys was like our introduction the monkeys and herb albert yes yes we yes. had uh, every herb albert we played right. i think we had a herb albert album in our house that probably has deeper grooves in it than <laughs> it did when we got it because we played it so much and Burt Bacharach kind of entered into yeah. that too. Because mom, because mom, our mom thought he was really cute. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what she told me later. Well, um, and she actually took good enough for Angie Dickinson. She and my aunt Jane took me to see Burt Bacharach, and uh, the opening act was Anthony Newley, which was wow. unbelievable. I mean, I I wasn't really that familiar. I mean, I was probably in high school. And I thought, well, this is kind of odd. The guy that sings, what kind of fool am I? And and so, but anyway, it was unbelievable. Um, and Julian Carroll, who was the the um, governor of Kentucky at the time, came up and said, that was a spectacular evening. And people kind of like, oh boy, here we you know, Kentucky. But anyway, that that was great. We yes, Burt Backrack was, I, and I listen to Burt Backrack now because I like him, but... Um, yeah, that was the kind of stuff we were exposed to. Yeah. There was a, you know, I guess we kind of progressed into the 45 era, mm -hmm. um, whereby, you know, every week, and my wife and I were talking about this today, every week the local, uh, you know, store, whether it's Woolworths or Grants or whatever it was, would have the, the top 40 songs of the week, right? What well, was number one and on down the line and all that. And so um, that's when the, the era of people buying singles really kind of took off. And, um, and there were a few that, that stuck out for me. Um, I know one was uh, by the Lemon Pipers called Green Tambourine. Drop your silver in my And the reason it was significant was we, we went to Woolworths on a Saturday and it was, it was cold outside, I do remember that. And, um, 
and my dad was like, hey, you know, if you want to get a record, go ahead and get one, a 45. And I, they were probably like 50 cents at the time or something. And so I saw this record, this 45 of uh, a song called Green Tambourine. And it's and I thought I had heard it on the radio and it was kind of pseudo psychedelic and, you know, uh, sounded kind of crazy for the time. And then the label which was, it was on Buddha Records, and some of you may remember that the, the label of Buddha Records looked a little psychedelic, like somebody was on a bad LSD trip or something. <laughs> and so I thought, that's rebellious enough for me, so I'll get that one. <laughs> so I got it, and my dad just kind of rolled his eyes <laughs> at me, and we got it. And that was, um, that was 1967. Um, so that was a... That was a that was a big deal. That was that's just one of those things that probably is not. I wouldn't say it's my favorite song of all time, but it's just that's kind of what this is all about, you know, songs that mean something to us or we have mm-hmm. some sort of particular memory about them. Well, I, I do think the late '60s, early '70s was kind of a golden age of pop music. I mean, there yeah, were, or we liked it anyway, and there were just certain yeah. songs that we still remember from that. that yeah. Time. What about you? What what were your what stood out for you during those late '60s? keep falling on my head that yeah. was a big one. Oh yeah um and some of the other ones you've got written down here well, i remember you got it seems like one birthday you got like seven copies of dr my eyes yes. by jackson brown yes it was like every kid my 13th birthday 45 yeah. dr my eyes have seen the years and the slow now I want to understand I have done all that I could To see the evil and the good Without hiding You must help me if you can Doctor, my eyes Tell me what is wrong Was I on There's a couple of songs that were that were odd oddballs as far as I was concerned. One was um, Hocus Pocus by Focus. <laughs> Thank you. 
okay? You don't hear that one much anymore. Well, go on YouTube. <laughs> and those guys uh, focus. They're still playing. You're kidding. No, they're still, I mean, mainly in Europe. They don't, it's not, hey, we're going to do a tour of the States or whatever. I don't think they've drawn too many people. But they were a Dutch band, a Dutch band. And uh, the part at the end is what's really goofy to me. So there was another band from uh, from the Netherlands called uh, the T Set. My Bella me. You were a child of the sun and the sky and the deep blue sea. My Bella me. Après tous les beaux jours, je te dis merci, merci. You were the answer on all my questions before we're through. I want to tell you that I adore you and always do That you amaze me by leaving me now and starting you My bella me Oh, they were from the Netherlands. They were from the too. Netherlands. So there was we had this thing about Dutch people if, for some reason. I don't know why, but the, the Dutch invasion to go along with the British invasion. <laughs> Two groups. It didn't last long. This song was called "My Bell and Me," which was I don't know why I remember because I remember us singing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was goofy. Um, oh gosh, I mean there were so many. I, I know that that in in '72 I was 12. You were you were old. You were 15. Yeah, 15. Years. Uh, we had a, a cousin that graduated from high school, and he got I guess the the cool hip album of the time was the Guess Who's Greatest Hits, right? And he got like tw you know everybody I guess in our family got it for him. Yeah, he got like <laughs> he ended up getting like 20 copies of. So we automatically thought that was that was really hip and mm -hmm. cool and all that sort of thing. So uh, I think we got that. Um, and there's and there's a few others. I know that in I, I remember we went to Florida in '68. Uh, our our vacations and that maybe that's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> our vacations were if we left where we lived and we crossed the Florida state line somewhere. That means we had to turn around and come back <laughs> because we just did not, we did not, we couldn't drive. We didn't prison. tarry anywhere, you know, we <laughs> so we went to Florida and I'm sure it was the northernmost part of Florida. Um, 
and we went into this this hotel bar because our dad needed to get some beer. <laughs> and we went into this bar, and it was like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm I'm with him, and we go in, and there's the band for the night is rehearsing for hmm. for you know later in the evening, and they were doing uh, Neon Rainbow by the Box Tops. They can warm the coldest nights All the people going places Smiling with electric faces What they find the glowy races And what they lose the glory places And life is love remember hearing that song I'm thinking I don't think I've heard that because I had I'd heard the letter you know that was the big hit for the box tops okay and so when they said neon rainbow so I sort of looked it up and it was the song and they were learning it for for their That's show true. whatever you want to call it uh, so I have I have specific memories um, of that and there there's some others um, you know your your, uh, your camp experience you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> because there is there is a particular song that goes along with that. Well, there was a traumatic Boy Scout camp experience for me when I was about, I think about 14. And our troop went pretty far away. And it was we were going to be there when it was my birthday. It was just, there was a lot to unpack. Don't go sad. too far. You know, the keep but, just kind of stay uh, on the surface. Anyway, it was... Uh, it was pretty a pretty miserable week, but I can't remember what song you associate with it. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining, and they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed. Poison Ivy, you remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters, and the lake has. Oh, hello, Mudda, hello, Fada? Really? Yeah, but that was way before you went to camp. Yeah. But every time I heard it after you went oh, to camp, I put I the two so together. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I think you have down here, uh, I think I'm going out of my head that. Uh, Medley, the Letterman. the Letterman medley. For some reason, that one and uh, what was the other one that kept playing on the radio? Standing here, looking at you. Well, let me tell you that it hurts so bad. It makes me feel so bad. Makes me hurt so bad to see you again. Like needles and pins, people say. Now this is like 70, 69 or 71, I can't remember, but it was hurt so bad. Oh. Maybe that was a Well, that was a too. really joyful time for you, wasn't it? <laughs> Going out of my head and hurt so bad. <laughs> no, Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. So that was originally came out in 1963. And right. when I was a kid, uh, I, I imitated a lot of what I saw on TV. And so when we'd have company, 
uh, mom and dad would say, you know, do that comic cleanser commercial that you do so well. <laughs> and I'd hold up, I mean, we have pictures of like me standing next to a bottle of Mr. Clean or whatever, you know, doing, mimicking whatever I saw on TV. And so this was right around the time that song became very popular. And I'm pretty sure I performed it in first grade. I had a very nice teacher who probably let me get away with that kind of stuff. And for some reason, I remember singing it to, to like a cashier at Kroger. I mean, with mom, I didn't. We didn't have just... food stamps. <laughs> Dave, why don't you go ahead and sing a song? Do that song you've been working on. <laughs> but um, that's that's my memory of Hello Mata Hello Father. Oh my God! That uh, it was it was a good number for me. I had it in my repertoire, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, people seemed to like it. Well, along those same lines, um, you know, for I don't know how this started, but I somehow um, worked up an impression of Louis Armstrong singing Hello Dolly. I would do it for you now, but I'm sure I would cough up a lung <laughs> if I did. This is Louis. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. You look and swell, Dolly. I can't tell, Dolly. You're still glowing, you're still growing, you're still going strong. I feel the room but the band's playing one of our old favorite songs from way back when. So take a rap, fellas, find an empty lap, fellas, darling, never where you can. But um, you were the hit of our family talent shows. Well, right? again, these these were things that we did, and I'm not sure that our parents or our grandparents sat around and said, "You know what? We really should have a talent show." I mean, if my if I did that when my kids were, they would never forgive me. <laughs> but it was a it was a big deal. Now, well, there there was a few other things that happened, but um, we would we would mimic. You're right. I can remember when you mimicked. Uh, television commercials, and I would mimic songs or yeah. uh, music. And um, you started playing in bands when, um, like professionally. Yeah, 70, 70, 1978 was my first um, <clears throat> first gig that I played that I got paid. Uh, I made twenty five dollars, and I played with a a big band. And I was by far the youngest member of the big band. I was 18, and I think the next youngest guy was 70. Uh, but it was great fun. Loved every minute of it. I Especially, I remember, uh, I, I played with this big band here in town many times, but a couple of times. One was when our grandparents came with our parents and danced. That was very meaningful and very memorable. And then a couple other times, friends of mine would come with their girlfriends if they sort of got it. You know, if they if they thought the music, if they thought Little Brown Jug was a cool song, <laughs> then they would come and, and they would listen and you know whatever. And uh, so it was it was great. I did that for off and on probably for a couple years. Um, and as far as I was concerned, you know, twenty five bucks for playing. Was just great, and I knew that that I knew that um, <laughs> I was kind of in over my head because I can remember 
I played the trombone and I would play the bass trombone part, but I did not have a bass trombone. So in order for me to play those way down low notes, it took a lot of air. Hmm. And so I can remember one, one rehearsal in particular. I was, I mean, the, the director of the orchestra was standing in front of, of the trombone section and he would look at me and he would point and go like this, you know, as if to say, hey, I need more from you. And I was about that far from passing out. <laughs> I ran out of air and I just stopped and like, I couldn't even, <laughs> I thought I was going to die that evening. Wow. It was on a Monday night. Anyway, that was, uh, I knew that, that uh, um, I knew that it was, it was hard. Uh, but it was so much fun that that made up for all the work. But hmm. and then other things led to uh, that band led to other things, and you know on and on it went. But uh, yeah. it was a yeah it was it was a it was a fun time, a lot of fun, and you know I love to my kids love to hear stories that, that like that they used to when they were little. I don't think they really care that much Were now. you one? Wasn't there one gig where the drummer? was having a solo and he got into so much in a frenzy that like half his drum kit fell apart or something like that. Well, that was, yes. Um, <laughs> he was, this this guy's name was, um, <laughs> the Mad Mad Drummer was his moniker, right? And he had a name that I'm forgetting right now, but anyway, he would just, man, he had his following and it was mostly women Mm-mm. that would follow him. And they were, you know, way past the age of wearing makeup and stuff <laughs> like that. They shouldn't have been, is my point. <laughs> and they would get all just done up and dressed and everything. And then he would dance. He would, during the break, he would go out and dance with all the women. And then when he was at the bandstand, obviously he couldn't do that. But yeah, he would get, he got carried away one night and one of his cymbal stands fell off the drum riser. <laughs> And almost took out one of the saxophone <laughs> players, but just stuff like that is is just is just ridiculous. But they're funny, and they're you know at the time it, it didn't seem to be funny, but uh, looking back on it now, it was very memorable times. Yeah. So. All right, we're gonna wrap it up. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you later. <laughs>